Our God Reigns, instrumental, relaxing guitar hymn, heavenly stuff. Thank you for coming to today's podcast. My name is Fernando. I am an alcoholic. <clears throat> to get us rolling for today, <clears throat> November 17th, let's go ahead and open up with a serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. A 12-step movement is comprised of men and women who had enough of living their own way, who said, Uncle, and we're here to help others. Thank you for being a partner with us in the the 12-step movement. 24-hour for today, November 17th. Everyone has two personalities, a good and a bad. We're all dual personalities to some extent. When we were drinking, the bad personality was in control. We did things when we were drunk that we would never do when we were sober. When we sobered up, we are different people. Then we wonder how we could have done things we did. But we drink again and again. Our bad side comes out. So we are back and forth, always in conflict with our other self, always in a stool. This division of ourselves is not good. We must somehow become unified. We do this by giving ourselves wholeheartedly to AA, 12-step movement, and to sobriety. Have I become unified? Meditation for the day. Well done, the good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. These words are for many ordinary people whom the world may pass by, unrecognized. Not to the world fame, the proud, the wealthy are these words spoken, but to the quiet followers who serve God. Untruthfully, yet faithfully, who bear their crosses bravely and put a smiling face to the world. Enter into the joy of the Lord, pass it, pass into the fuller spiritual life, which is a life of joy and peace. Prayer for the day. I pray that I may not desire the world's applause. I pray that I may not seek rewards for doing what I believe is right. I'm Fernando Alcoholic, and just like Forrest Gump, this is what I got to say about that. Uh, acceptance sounds to me like I need to accept situations that come to me um, and the word acceptance has evolved for me <clears throat> I got a text this morning five in the morning uh, one guy a motorcycle guy and he texted me one word acceptance <clears throat> so this is what I wrote back I said acceptance has evolved for me as I've been in the, in the program it's, it's step three. For me, to acceptance is to make a commitment is step three. To turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand them. This is how I understand God, and this is what works for me, and this is what gives results. To thank God for the grievance, challenge, or friction is step three. Again, to be thankful for a grievance, for a, for a hurt, for a problem, for an offense, for a bill, for an accident, and keep thanking God 
that there's there's a good side of the coin. Myself, my, my little boy inside of me will get angry and stop his feet because it's cornered. It's trapped with that situation. It can't go to the left or the right, up or down. I don't want to respond in my old self way again, so I start thanking God. After keep thanking God for a long time, then myself gets pitying. I get self-pity. Why me, oh God? Why me? I have to go through this. Then I keep thanking God some more because I made a real commitment. Then it, something happens. It turns into real acceptance. I said, oh man, at one point or another, it doesn't bother me. I, I thank God. I said, I thank you, God, for this. I'll thank you for this for the rest of my life if that's what you want me to do. And as soon as I do that, my insights have turned into gold. Now the problem doesn't stick anymore. I don't even see myself thanking, uh, bothering with it, even though I'm still fixing it. I still have to do every morning or something to fix the situation, to make it right. It doesn't bother me anymore. I do it as, as easily as uh, taking a leak, uh, brushing my teeth. <clears throat> Could be a big problem, but it has turned into gold inside of me. It does not bother me. And that's when, ha- when I, it turns into God's generosity. That's real acceptance for me. And that's when God's generosity opens up with abundance, rewards for my obedience and doing things His way, big time. That's real acceptance for me, real acceptance. All right, thank you very much for listening in. Let's go ahead and read today's Alcoholics Anonymous Daily Reflections for the 17th. Here we go. We'll go into English. Back and forth from English to. And then we'll end with the Our Father. Here we go. November 17. Overcoming loneliness. Almost without exception, alcoholics are tortured by loneliness. Even before our drinking got bad and people began to cut us off. Nearly all of us suffered the feeling that we didn't quite belong. As Bill sees at page 90. The agonies and the void that I often felt inside occur less and less frequently in my life today. I have learned to cope with solitude. It is only when I am alone and calm that I am able to communicate with God, for He cannot reach me when I am in turmoil. It is good to maintain contact with God at all times, but it is absolutely essential that when Everything seems to go wrong. I maintain that contact through prayer meditation. There it is. It's only when I'm alone and calm that I'm able to communicate with God, for He cannot reach me when I am in turmoil. It is good to maintain contact with God at all times, but but it is absolutely essential that when everything seems to go wrong, I maintain that contact to prayer and meditation. And folks, for me, prayer and meditation is step three. I have made a commitment, a, a real manly, real human commitment, that I'm going to thank God even if it kills me, even if it destroys me. I'm going to thank God 
that's step three for me, guys. That's the only way step three works for me. That that's when the problem backs down when he sees your 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 human spirit uh, using the tools of heaven to thank God for a problem. It won't phase you. It'll back down. That's my experience, folks. Let's go ahead and get out of here with the Our Father. Have a good morning. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming and listening. May the blessings of the Lord be upon your head. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord grant you favor and peace and carry you in his arms today and put you in the right position as a soldier. Equip you again with a helmet and a sword and a spear and, and boots and belt and, and a breastplate of rightness and get out there and go conquer your enemies and by thanking God for them. Weird, huh? Let's pray. Who woke us up this morning? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It's working. Welcome to today's podcast. Let's go ahead and pray the Our Father to open up this session of Limitless Love and Kenny Copeland's Daily Faith to Faith. Thank you for your dedication. Let's pray with the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver them from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, I wanted to ask you, to go out and get yourself a copy. We we just ordered two more copies of this book, Limitless Love, because I gave one to my sister here in Los Angeles, and she she's reading it. And I left one in Las Vegas with uh, Donnie and the grandkids, and she is uh, she liked she loved it. And so here we go for November seventeenth, Limitless Love. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know you that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Psalms 100 verses 1 through 4. 
Be glad and not sad. Let me read that again, okay? You might like to repeat it after me. You make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All you lands that serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know you that the Lord is, he is God. It is he that has made us. Please say this with me. And now we ourselves, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Psalms 100, 1 through 4. Did you see? I saw something in here. I saw that Jesus is the gate and the Holy Spirit is, is the courts. So I enter into Jesus through the, with thanksgiving and I enter his courts with the Holy Spirit with praise. And then I become thankful unto him and I bless his name. Oh, just a little side note. This is by Gloria Copeland. She goes on to say, I think some people have misread this verse. They believe it says we should serve the Lord with sadness. Yes, I love the Lord, they say, but the way is hard. The burdens are heavy and the battle is taking its toil. It's almost as if they think God is pleased with the price they are willing to pay for himself, as if the more they suffer, the happier he is. That's the furthest thing from the truth. God wants us to serve him with gladness, not sadness. He loves us. It blesses him to see us happy and singing his praises. He enjoys it when we come into his presence with singing, not sighing. <laughs> when you think about it, that's easy to understand. After all, doesn't it bless you when you see your children happy and enjoying the things you've given them? Wouldn't it grieve your heart if they were always dragging around talking about how hard it is to be your child? <laughs> you want to say, wait a minute, I give you far more than I ask of you. I work hard to make sure your needs are met and you have everything necessary for a good and happy life. The least you could do is appreciate it and enjoy it. Do for the Lord what you want your children to do for you. Cultivate an attitude of gratitude and joy. Cultivate it. If you have to, do what the old hymn says to do and count your blessings. But I don't feel like counting my blessings, you might say. I have some serious problems. I need God to move in my life. That's all the more reason to remind yourself how much God loves you and thank Him for His faithfulness to you. It's easy for God to move in your heart when you're thankful. It's easy for you to have faith when you're rejoicing in Him. It's difficult for the Lord to move in your life when you're about half mad at Him all the time. It limits Him when you're fretting and saying, God, why did you let these bad things happen to me? That kind of thinking leads to doubt, not faith. It will get you nowhere fast. So, read the scriptures right. Do what it says and serve the Lord with gladness. Sing and shout and thank Him 
for his wonderful love and care. Not only will he be blessed by your praises, they will open the door for him to do even more marvelous things for you. Amen. From Gloria Copeland, Limitless Love. And Faith to Faith, Kenny Copeland says on the devotion on November 17th, the power to create. Therefore, be imitators of God, copy him and follow his example as well. Beloved children, imitate their father. Amplified Bible, Ephesians 5.1. Creating new things, <clears throat> changing old things, because you and I are made in the image of God, that's something we, we're always trying to do. But if we're to be successful at it, we need to learn a lesson about it from the Creator Himself, our very own Heavenly Father. You know, He doesn't just come upon creation by accident and say, Well, what do you know? There's light. No. Before He began to make His universe, He first had a desire result, an inner idea, an image or what of what He wanted to create. And then he said, light be and light was. If we're going to imitate him, we're going to have to put that principle of the inner image to work too. But Brother Copeland, you say, that was God. Surely you don't expect me to try to act like God. I most sincerely do. Ephesians 5.1 says so. Let's read that again. Therefore be imitators of God as well beloved children. Imitate their father. Copy him, follow his example. Let me warn you about something, though. Don't waste your time sitting around trying to dream up a positive inner image all on your own. That's more than positive thinking. And while it's better than negative thinking or not thinking at all, it will eventually fall flat. If you're a born-again child of Almighty God... God has given you the principle and the power to make permanent changes in your life and in your circumstances. If you're a born-again child of Almighty God, God has given us the, the tools and the knowledge and whereabouts called power to make permanent changes in our lives and in our circumstances. Thinking about creation again, God wanted light so he said let there be light the words he spoke were directly related to his inner image he used his words to get that image from the inside to the outside what we need is the basis for our inner image and for the words we speak is the word of god the word has supernatural power if you fill that word with faith and speak it out it will work for you to change your life and circumstances as surely as it did for your father. Find out what real creativity is all about. Dig into the word of God and start rebuilding your word, your world today. So how do we do that? Well, a lot of people said take a, a picture of something and put a verse on it. The verse I like for me is the verse on uh, Hebrews. It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For the Lord has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And when we have a need, to, especially to be helping someone else, it would be nice for me to have this so I can 
take them or have them or be, you know, for instance, uh, have a little praise and worship session in the home. It would be nice for us to have uh, room and less clutter and have a little church in our house or a big church to worship God and have have some of these teachings going on, wouldn't it? I don't know how many churches have been created like that. God gives the power for his good will to be done. I myself am guilty. I say it would be good for me to, to win 25 tons of gold so I can go out there and help the poor and make schools and, and have uh, orphanages of about 2,000 kids and teach them the 12-step principles of, uh, of good living, teaching them how to fish, how to be productive, a university of, uh, of, of the 12-step program. It entails everything. All right, now, God bless you. The blessings of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. May the Lord meet you on the high rises in the road and have your back. May the grace and the love and the smile and peace of God be upon you. We bless you in Jesus' name. And remember, we are family. We are one in Christ Jesus. So let's thank God for our problems for they cause us to look at God and he will resolve them. He said, I will never leave you. But let's just thank God for our solutions too at the same time. Put in a solution in there. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Turn to page 62, please. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that, we think, is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later place us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us have had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying our own power. We had to have God's help. The how and why, but first of all, we had to quit playing God and Jim work. Next, we decided that after all of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his, we are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Good, many, the most good ideas are simple. The concept was the keystone of a new triumphant art in which we pass through freedom. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things happened. We followed. 
we had a new employer being all powerful. He provided what we needed to keep close to him and perform his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in our own little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt a new power flow in, we enjoyed peace of mind and discovered that we could face life successfully. As we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, and thereafter, we were reborn. We were now at step three. <clears throat> Many of us said to our maker as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. Page 76, please. When ready, we say something like this, my creator, I'm now willing to do what we should have all of me, good and bad. I pray now to remove me from every single defect of character which stands in my way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me the strength to go out there and do your bidding. Amen. We have now completed step seven. Page 86, please. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is clear of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take, here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch of occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still in experience and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we will. We're going to be inspired at all times. We may pay for the presumption of all sorts of obscure actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we think we find that our thinking will come as time passes to be more and more on the plane of inspiration we come to rely upon it. We usually conclude this period of meditation with a prayer and show throughout the day what our next step is to be. And we've been given whatever we need to take care of such problems, especially asking for freedom of self-will and careful not to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfishness. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that. It doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to religious denomination, which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasizes the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. 
We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily. For we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. Page 416, please. Accepted is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I can accept my alcoholism, I cannot stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Shakespeare said, All the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players. He forgot to mention that I was the chief critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation, and I was always glad to point it out. Because I knew you wanted perfection just as I did. AA and acceptance has taught me that there is a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us. That we are all children of God and we each have a right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I am saying that I know better than God. For years, I was sure the worst thing that could happen to a nice guy like me is that I would turn out to be an alcoholic. Today I find it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. This proves I don't know what is good for me. If I don't know what's good for me, then I don't know what's good or bad for you or anyone. So it's better off I don't fear, don't give advice, don't... Uh, I know what's best and just accept life on life's terms as it is today, especially my own life uh, as it actually is. Before Before AA judged me by my intentions, the world was there to be by my actions. Acceptance has been the answer to my burial problems today. AA has given me a new pair of glasses. Max and I have now been married 35 years prior to our marriage. She was a shy, scrawny adolescent who was able to see things in hers that others couldn't necessarily see. Things like char- beauty, charm, gaiety, and gifted, easy to be in the top two, and a sense of humor, and other, and other fine qualities. Uh, I, I lost my place. Uh, it was if I had rather than a mindset that turns everything into gold, a magnified mind that could magnify on whatever it focuses on. Over the years, I thought about Max and all our good qualities grew and grew. We were married. And we were, all these qualities became more and more apparent to me, and we were happier and happier. 
But then, as I drank more and more, the alcohol seemed to affect my vision. Instead of continuing to see what was good about my wife, I began to see her defects. The more I focused my mind on her defects, the more they grew and multiplied. Every defect I pointed out to her became greater and greater. Each time I told her she was a nothing, she receded a little more into nowhere. The more I drank, the more she wilted. Then one day in AA, I was told that I had the lenses and my glasses backwards. The courage to change the serenity prayer meant not that I should change my marriage, but rather that I should change myself and learn to accept my spouse as she was. AA has given me a new pair of glasses. I can again focus on my wife's good qualities and watch them grow, grow, and grow. I can do the same thing with an AA meeting. The more I focus my mind on its defects, late starts, long drunk log, cigarette smoke, the worse the meeting becomes. But when, when I try to see what I can add to the meeting rather than what I can get out of it, and when I focus my mind on what's good about it rather than what's, what's wrong with it, the meeting keeps getting better and better. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. And when I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on a problem, the problem increases. If I focus on the answer, the answer increases. Page 420, please. Perhaps the best thing for me is to remember that my serenity is inversely, inversely proportional to my expectations. The higher expectations of Max and other people are, the lower my serenity. I can watch my serenity level rise, but I discard my expectations, but my rise try to move in, and they too can force my serenity level down. I have to discard my rise as well as my expectations, and by asking myself how important is it really, how important is it compared to my serenity and my emotional sobriety. And when I put when I place more value on my serenity and my sobriety than anything else, I can maintain at a higher level, at least for the time being. Acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. I never just sit around do nothing, waiting for Him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever's in front of me and needs to be done. I leave the results up to Him. However, it turns out, God's will for me. I must keep my magic by mind on my acceptance and off my expectation for my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. And when I remember this, I can see I've never had so good. Thank God for AA. Amen. Page 552, please. He said, in effect, if you are, if you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness. And you will be free, even when you don't really want it for them and your prayers are only words and you don't mean it. Go ahead and do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks and you will find you have come to mean it and want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you now feel compassionate, understanding and love. It worked for me then, and it has worked for me many times since, and it will work for me every time I am willing to work it. Sometimes I have to ask first for the willingness, but it too always comes. And because it works for me, it will work for all of us. As another great man says, the only real freedom a human being can ever know is doing what you ought to do because you want to do it. This great experience that released me from the bondage of hatred and replaced it with love is just really another affirmation of the truth I know. I get everything I need in Alcoholic Anonymous, and everything I need, I get. And when I get what I need, I invariably find that it was just what I wanted all the time. Page 100, please. Both of you are the new 
man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When I, when we look back and realize the things that which came to us when we were putting ourselves in God's hand are better than anything that we could ever plan. Follow the attendance of a higher power and you will presently live in a new, wonderful world no matter what your uh, present circumstances are. Page 83, please. If we are painstaking about this phase of development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace no matter how far down the scale we have gone. We will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitudes and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will truly know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Page 85, please. It's easy to let up our spiritual program and lesson on our laurels. We've had trouble. If, if, we're headed for trouble if we do so. Our alcoholism is our fault. We're not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is daily replete of the consciousness and maintenance of the spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we carry out this vision of God to all of our activities. How, how can I best serve thee? But I will not mind be done. These are signs that must go with us constantly and exercise uh, our willpower along the line with our, all we wish is a proper use of the will. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, direction from He who has all knowledge and power. We are careful not to follow. We're, we we have have carefully followed directions and have begun to sense a new uh, flow of his spirit into us. So to some extent we become God conscious, we've begun to develop a vital success, but we must go further, that means more action. Page 43, please. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first strength, except in a few rare cases. Neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. D.N., Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you very much for coming in today's reading. God bless you. God bless you too, Fernando. All righty. I'll see you, Rick. See you tomorrow. Right, take care. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye. We'll see you, everyone. Have a great time. Thank you for coming in here and listening to today's podcast. Great Biden reading. Thumbing for the Holidays. This is out of the Grapevine 2017 December print. Broken Lonely, a newcomer looking for the service to do service, hits the road and gets an unexpected surprise. It was a cold and snowy Christmas morning when I woke in my friend's apartment. She had flown to California and asked me to house it for two weeks and feed her cat. I had been sober for barely two weeks. I was grateful because I had been sofa surfing since my car had been repossessed 
and was no longer available to provide sleeping accommodations. Even if some of my friends with sofas had not grown tired of me, I didn't want to impose on any of them for too long. I had been attending meetings for a couple of months when someone suggested that I try coming to meetings sober. So after a particular disastrous drunk, I just did that. I began attending meetings sober at last, at least once every day. As the holidays loomed, many groups had parties and served food. I was unemployed and broken, so often these eating meetings events were my only opportunity to eat. Although I connected with several AA members I met at meetings, there were some people I just didn't like. Jerry, the professor, was one. It seemed that the more AAs has nicknames in those days, Jerry was a, a doer, unfriendly fellow. I assumed that he didn't like me, so I avoided him. In fact, when he shared at a meeting, I would get up and go to the kitchen for a cup of coffee or to daydream about something else. I felt that nothing he had to say would be useful to me or help me to stay sober. So there I was in my friend's apartment on Christmas Day. She was not an AA. She was not an alcoholic. I knew there was alcohol in the place, but she had put it away in, in deference to my budding sobriety. If I looked hard enough, I knew I would find it, though. As my poor smiths about the loss of my job, my home, and my family set in, suddenly I remembered something I had heard at a meeting. It was actually something Jerry the Persephone has told about his first sober Christmas and waking up alone. Somehow he had gotten the idea that helping someone else might keep him sober. He had driven to the Salvation Army soup kitchen and volunteered his time, serving homeless people and driving meals to shut-ins. I couldn't remember when and where he had told his story, but right then it was a godsend to me. I didn't have a car anymore, but that and the fact that the nearest Salvation Army shelter was 40 miles away didn't stop me. I bundled up and hit the road with my thumb out. The fact that it was Christmas probably inspired drivers to stop for me, and I made it into Hartford in three rides. What if they don't need any help, I thought, as I neared the soup kitchen, but my fear was unfounded. I was welcomed with open arms and put to work. I sliced turkeys and lado gravy. Waiting on tables set up for transients, I washed dishes, pots and pans. The, the day passed quickly. When the last folks had been served and had left, we volunteers sat down to eat. Besides the Salvation Army folks, there were three lovely ladies who had worked as hard as I had all day. Now, shed of their aprons, I saw that they were tastefully dressed, their hair coiffed, they wore expensive jewelry, I felt dowdy in my worn jeans and faded sweatshirt, but they were friendly and asked me where I lived and so on. I burst into tears and confessed that I was just an alcoholic trying to stay sober and that that was the only reason I had come to in to help. All three of them laugh hard. So are we, sweetie, one woman said. You're one of us, another said. I might have known. A feeling of gratitude like nothing else I had left before came over me. 
I was truly blessed. The ladies and I left together and went to a nearby meeting, after which they drove me back to my friend's apartment, which was way out of their way. No way would they have me hitchhike in the dark, they said. And I said my prayers before climbing into bed. I added, God bless you, Jerry the Professor. <laughs> Bonnie R. Ash Country, North Carolina. Thumbing for the holidays. Pretty cool, huh? Our next story is... Growing up, I always had a set of standards and values by which I try to live. And the story of this one is holiday surprises. As a special treat, she brought goodies to her AA meeting. What could possibly go wrong? Growing up, I always had a set of standards and values by which I tried to live. I was a responsible person, a person who kept her word, a truthful person person. When I crossed that invisible line between social and alcoholic drinking, it became harder and harder to stick to those values of which I was most pr proud. One by one, those values disappeared. I could no longer uphold them and keep on drinking the way I was. A member once wrote the following in our district newsletter. I was violating my standards faster than I could lower them. That described perfectly my downward slide. I set hard rules regarding my behavior, such as not drinking in the morning. Well, the rule hit that slide. When that came, the rule that I would not drink and drive my car with my children inside, another slide kept going down the hill. You see the picture? Then came the day that I decided I could not live one more day, the day I, the way I had been. That's when I, went, I was introduced to AA. I soon found that I had to set rules that would help ensure my sobriety. There were two. I had been a home drinker, a sneak and a hider. I had always shopped for alcohol in liquor stores. This was a time before alcohol was sold in groceries and drugstores. My first rule was that I would not go into liquor stores. I live with this rule even today. My second rule was that I would not eat food that had been prepared with alcohol. My home group members have discussed about not cooking with wine, not choosing items on the menu that were made with liquor, not eating mom's homemade room balls at Christmas, and so on. I agree with those members who said they wouldn't do it, even though, as some said, the liquor was burned off in cooking. They didn't want to eat something and feel as though they had gotten away with it. They didn't want to end up feeling that perhaps a little beer with a hot dog at the ball game would be, then be okay. I've been conscientious about reading ingredients and choosing menus items carefully. My husband became my official taster just like the kings and queens used to have. He would try food in a restaurant or in some home and say to me quietly, you really wouldn't enjoy this. This meant it had been made with alcohol. These rules have served me well through my many years of sobriety, which explained why I was stunned the other day at a meeting at our local clubhouse. I had been packing tins of candy for neighbors. I had some leftovers that I decided to take to our meeting kitchen for others to enjoy. 
I put out some wrap red right strip mints and some wrap chocolate pieces and then added two boxes of chocolate covered cherries. Just before the meeting started, someone asked who brought the candy. I said I had. He asked if I knew that there was liquor in the cherries. I literally gasped and said that I did not. I felt terrible. I had neglected to read the ingredients. I had let my standards slide. I had bought the chocolates at a dollar store and never thought for a minute there would be expensive ingredients in them. But I had not checked. So I went to the kitchen right then and buried the boxes of chocolate in the bottom of the trash can. I pictured myself as one of the poisonous, adorable little old ladies from Arsenic and Olays who would be whispered about at local meetings at the, as the women who caused the group slipped at the club. Lesson learned, never let my guard down or let my up on my vigilance. Carol Kay from Sarasota, Florida. Our next story is called Counting Days with Santa. Out on a family shopping trip, a nervous newcomer encounters someone way too jolly. <laughs> This is from John A. from Fort Maid, Mead, uh, Minnesota? No. MD. I don't know that is. It'll come to me in a minute. My wife and I went to visit our daughter at her college just prior to the holiday season. It's always a challenge to balance family time with the need to go to any length to stay sober, especially around the holidays. That year was my first sober Christmas. I was anxious about every little detail that might be a trigger for drinking. I had promised my wife and daughter a day of shopping. I also planned to visit an early AA meetings in, the, in that unfamiliar town at my sponsor's recommendations. I did not have a problem finding an early bird meeting full of coffee and conversation which morning meetings tends to offer no matter where you go. I found a smiling, happy group of strangers, brothers and sisters in AA. They welcomed me to their meeting, placed behind a grocery store. Fellowship was just what I needed to arm myself for the rest of the day. I introduced myself as a visitor to the meeting, one who needed to keep his head clear. Everyone there understood. I made it back to my family before they were even awake. I was ready to go shopping. Taking my wife and daughter to a store that was familiar was a safe way to pick up some items our daughter needed for her apartment without encountering drinker, drinking triggers in my first holiday season sober. I really had an earnest desire to not drink. Pulling up in a well-known superstore, I saw a, an energetic Santa greeting people at the door. Not wanting to run into a Santa, I dodged and walked my family into the garden entrance and started shopping for household items. While we were looking at curtains and rugs, sure enough, there came Santa visiting the aisles. When he rounded the corner, I looked up and nervously hugged my daughter for support. Then I turned to greet the spunky Santa, who looked strangely familiar. Well, hello, Santa, I said. Hello, young man, Santa said. Have you been good all year? No, Santa, I replied. I'm trying hard, though. Santa looked me over carefully. Well, how long have you been good, he asked. 
I have been good for 231 days, I answered. Do you need to count the days? Yes. I hesitated for a minute, then I said, Yes, Santa, I do need to count the days, one day at a time. Santa's eyes twinkle. Ho, 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 he yelled. I am on that list, too. One day at a time. Ho, ho, ho. Keep your hair clear. Keep your head clear, young man. Thank you, Santa. I called out with a twinkle in my own eye. I added, Merry Christmas, as I watched Santa disappear into the next aisle. John A. from Fort Meade, Montana, Minnesota. Huh. <laughs> it's the end of the day and a little tired. I'm Fernando, alcoholic. Uh, I just got a text this morning to bring somebody to uh, to to child services so they can see their 22 year old son and get him back to his rehab on time so he can test. And it was all thrown at me uh, like uh, as a surprise. But, you know, there's a principle that God has told me. I got everything I need. Everything I need, I have. There's no need of anything. I am good. I have time. I have resources. I have health. Uh, God has been very good to me. So why shouldn't I be of service? And I went ahead and comply. And now I get to read my much-needed reading of the grapevine. Okay, our next story is Woody's Gift. I may have read this story before, but I won't know until I start reading it. Why would a man leave his warm home on Christmas Eve to drive 17 miles in the snow? This story is sent to us by... Richard M. from Dillon, Montana. Finally, I came to the end of myself. I knew for certain I no longer had to pretend to look good for anyone. I was completely exhausted and worn out from pretending. I surrendered. Though I didn't know it at the time, this will become the best day of my life. Looking into the mirror as I sat at the bar ordering my third martini, I experienced what might be called my moment of truth. For the first time, I was convinced I no longer wanted to go home to my family drunk anymore. I paid for my martini, guzzled it down, and left the bar. I didn't know what to do or where to go. I lived in Loveland, Colorado, but that day I was drinking in Greeley about 20 miles away. So I decided to drive to nearby Fort Collins to find out if I could get help for my drinking problem. I had heard about AA and I knew I could probably find their phone number in the telephone directory. I located the numbers in the phone book. I dialed and a man answered. Blacker's radiator shop, he said. I nervously told him that I must have dialed the wrong number. What are you looking for, he replied. I told him I was drink, trying to contact AA. Well, you got the right place, he said. 
We talked and I admitted for the first time in my life that I had a drinking problem and I needed help. The man invited me to his place of business and gave me directions to get there. After I got to his shop, he he locked the door and flipped the open sign over to close. I wonder what I had walked into. He introduced himself as R.B. and looked me square in the eye and said, How can I help you? I can't quit drinking on my own, I replied. R.B. sat down and shared his experience, strength, and hope with me. He described his association with AA and told me that he had not had a drink in quite a few days. He said he owed his sobriety to AA. After we talked a while, he said there were four other men that I should probably talk to if I was serious about doing something about my drinking. The men's names were Harry, Ken, Rudy, and Woody. I shook Arby's hand and set out to find Harry. I ended up spending that afternoon with Harry, Ken, Rudy, and Woody. They shared their stories with me so I might be better able to decide if I wanted what they had. Here's what I remember most. These five men stopped everything they were doing that December afternoon to try to help someone they had never met before. They cared and their caring was something I would come to understand, but not that day. This instant friendship with these men was the beginning of my sobriety. Woody in particular took me under his wings. I began to see him every morning for coffee in his little locksmith shop behind his home. I sat in my car every morning waiting for him to come out to open his place of business, Woody's Lock and Key. He never once appeared to get irritated or tired of my ranting and confused babbling. I had no idea he had plenty of experience listening to other drunks. He always impressed me by saying that he had sobriety through AA one day at a time. He said that even though he had the price of a bottle of whiskey in his pocket, he no longer wanted it. The craving and terrible obsession for alcohol had been lifted. I certainly wanted what Woody had. The next meeting of AA in this area was three days away on Christmas Eve. Back home in Loveland, which was 17 miles south of Fort Collins, Woody was insistent about taking me to this meeting if I was willing to go. I was very willing, and yet for some reason I told Woody I would meet him there. We bantered back and forth for some time before Woody finally consented to meet me at the 8 o'clock meeting. I'm sure he thought I would not show up. Drunks like me very seldom tell the truth, but I kept my word. It was snowing as I walked up the steps and entered the meeting hall for my first AA meeting. As I entered the room, I immediately saw Woody and felt relieved that I knew at least one person. I couldn't understand why this beautiful little man would leave his family in Fort Collins on a snowy Christmas Eve and drive 17 miles in the dark to a meeting to see if this person he knew nothing about would show up to the AA meeting. I didn't know it that day, but I had had my last drink. Several years would pass before I understood the depths of caring of Woody and other people in AA. 
This understanding happened when Woody died. I was new and still too selfish and self-centered to attend his funeral. I owe so much to this man and others in AA, yet I did not attend his funeral. Much later, the day finally arrived when I would kneel at Woody's grave with tears in my eyes. I made my amends, apologized from the depths of my soul for not saying goodbye. I'll never forget that December afternoon, Woody took me aside and talked to me. This is how sobriety begins and how AA continues to work by one alcoholic talking to another. Woody had unselfishly helped me to freedom. From Richard M. Dillon, Montana. Thank you very much, Richard. This was an excellent, excellent story. Our next story is from Wrightwood, California. Over here by my hometown, by Ed L. Picture Perfect is the story. In February 2013, I was blindsided when a close friend, Tall Bill, died at a heart attack six weeks short of his 45th birthday. As the small community of Wrightwood came together to honor Tall Bill's life, I rummaged through our photo albums gathering images to create posters to be displayed during his memorial service. At one point, my wife held out a photograph to me and said, here's one where you all are clearly drunk. I leaned in and there she was totally unaware that I was mine altered in nine out of the 10 photographs taken during the first 18 years of our marriage. In photos of our wedding day, I appear in a three-piece suit offering a palm full of champagne to my black Labrador retriever. Then there is the photo of my daughter's first birthday, her face covered in white cake frosting as both of us face the camera with white grins, mine gleaming from the effects of alcohol as I celebrated her first birthday. In another photo, I'm with my son in a trout stream holding my fishing pole in one hand, him under my other arm, I'm drunk, and every picture of us camping, I either have a beer in the hand or you can see the liquor bottle sitting on the picnic tables. There are a dozen Christmas mornings gatherings around the tree where I am either still drunk from celebrating Christmas, even, or so hungover. You can see the pain in my grim smiles. If you're new and like me and thousands of others, alcoholics in AA who have stayed sober for at least one year, there will be many visits in that year of your life. You may experience your first Sunday in years without a hangover. You will likely experience your first sober Valentine's Day, St. Petra's Day, 4th of July, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's Eve. You may drink bourbon-free eggnog for the first time in a decade, and there won't be a champagne at midnight on New Year's Eve. It will be like it will likely be the first time you have blown out your birthday candle without flammable fluids on your breath. You will go camping, dan- fishing, hiking, dancing, partying, and to the beach sober. As the big tree roll around Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year. Take the opportunity this year to be in as many photographs as possible. Sober. 
Years from now, whether you remain sober or not, you will have photos to remember the first time you had a, a romantic meal without, without two bottles of red wine, drank green milkshakes instead of beer, or lit fireworks when you weren't lit. And the times you didn't stagger to the front door to distribute a candy corn to the absolute cutest little kid you ever seen in your life. Weren't the other turkeys at Thanksgiving dinner? Didn't fall into the Christmas tree? And weren't the loudest person in the room singing Au Lang Ni? In spite of progress, not perfection, I plan to be picture perfect this year for my loved ones. Ed L. Wrightwood, California. Pretty good. Pretty good, L. Wrightwood. Ed. Ed. Another story comes to us from Where does this one come from? This is called Light in a Long Winter. This is from Eric T. Maui, Hawaii. Maui, Hawaii. Here's to the people like Victor who keeps the coffee going even when no one's around. Planning a journey? My favorite part of travel is connecting with AAs in other places. A few years ago, I organized an adventure leaving my home on Maui in Hawaii to attend ICYPAA convention in San Antonio. And when I travel back to the mainland, I always try to include a visit to my East Coast roots, including some of my favorite AA meetings. Many years ago, I was trying to find myself before I got sober. I visited an island off the coast of New Harbor, Maine. Mohegan Island is accessible only by ferry, and it takes approximately one hour each way to and from the mainland. Much later, I returned to that island once I got sober, excited to find that they host two meetings there each week on Thursday and Sunday evening in the village library. All summer long, this island is swarmed by day trippers and vacationers. It is home to about 700 during peak season and home to about 50 from September through May. It was my first meeting there, and I met an AA beacon of light in the small island. Victor was a full-time resident on a very seasonal vacation getaway. Island. Unfortunately, Victor spent most of his long winter with maybe one or two fellow alcoholics. Many times he was completely alone at those meetings. During the summer, the beauty on this island is intense. The highlight of my journey there was always seeing the gratitude Victor emanated with his love and service for this fellowship. Unfortunately, a few months ago, Victor Mo. Mohegan's Island's Beacon of Light passed away. We will miss him. I always sense a wonderful gratitude in the people in these remote places. I also know this from some of my own experiences in Hawaii with some of our own remote meetings. On that island, 
On the islands of Maui, we have the Hanak Caravan the last Sunday of every month. We joined up for a three-hour trek to the most remote part of the island. Although Hana is a year-round destination, it is so remote that people usually pass on through without attending an AA meeting. I always enjoy the other AA beacons of light in my life. Susan, who is always there in Hannah to greet us. Susan makes sure that Han of AA is always here, accompanied by poho, fern, salads, and lasagna. Once a year, we also cross over to the islands of Lanai and Molakai by ferry to support their fellowship and to build our own AA service in a function we call the crossing. I feel extremely gratitude when I see these old timers keeping the torches lit all year round at these remote AA locations that I enjoy so heartily. Trudging the road of happy destiny and being willing to go to any lengths for our remote fellowships provides something so valuable, so enlightened that we cannot help but feel happy, joyous, and free. So let me say mahalo to Guy and Lynn on Lanai and to Frank and crew on Molokai. And let's not forget Victor on Mohegan Island who braved the long, cold, lonely winter so we could stay sober and have such a wonderful AA summer there. Eric T., Maui, Hawaii. I'm Fernando, alcoholic. I have a story. we, me and my wife were once invited to, with a couple, over to Kauai, the oldest island and most northern island of Hawaii. That was our very first visit to AA, so to AA in Hawaii, and I thought, and first time in that island. So when we got to the island, they took us to some very rough waters. There was a a typhoon going on in the Philippines, so the waters was churning pretty strong. And there was a lot of beach takers that were taking into the water. Our host pointed out that the, that the fire department and the uh, rescue squad was all parked right by the beach, looking onto the, all the surfers with binoculars. And they were saying, they're getting too close to the rocks, and we expect... Uh, we're here in case something happens. And so, and the wind was high, and the surf was high. Nothing happened. We left, and we went to uh, to our destination, and we had a fabulous time. But I can see that my host needed a drink. We were going from restaurant to restaurant. They were taking us from place to place, and they didn't drink in account of us, and I needed a meeting, and I didn't know how to get to one. Well, sad to say, I never hit a meeting there. I did take some books or grapevines, but it wasn't the same. The next year, we got invited back. Oh, by the way, they did text us and tell us that some uh, visitor did pass away that was out there, you know, a few days after we left in the high surf, as they predicted. And it was probably uh, one of us not a drinker. The next year we came back again, but this time I was determined to drag them, my host, to an AA meeting. 
And sure enough, we were, this time we, we landed in Oahu. And from Oahu, I looked at the map and there was a, a 12 coconut meeting over there by the zoo. And we were way over here on Hilton Village. So I asked my host to go with me, you know, adamantly. And he, you know, the meeting I think was at 7.30 in the morning. So we started trekking about 6.45 and we had a trek through the ocean beach, which was a delight. Uh, and we finally got there on time. And um, they asked my, my host to share for 10 minutes and he says, I'm brand new. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, but the, the funny thing, he did not share, someone else shared, but I noticed that uh, he got a wind of it. He started liking it. Then we went to another meeting and another meeting. And then he said he went home and uh, he got a hold of some material with him. And he said people started asking him that all of a sudden he went back to California and he reported to me that he was getting inquiries about how to stop drinking all of a sudden out of nowhere. And he started telling them about AA and the 12-step program and the people he, he met. So we went back a third time. This time we went to the Big Island. And from there, we found some meetings in the beach. And we went over there. And, uh, and sure enough... So we've been back many times since, about maybe five, six times now, to Hawaii. But the point I, I wanted to make is that uh, on the second year, I prayed and I asked God, if you send me back to to Kauai, the most northern island, I promise to go to about every meeting that's in that island. And sure enough, I was two weeks in that island. I was three weeks in Hawaii total, one week in Kauai, one week in, in Oahu, excuse me, and two weeks in Kauai. Um, I went to my first meeting, and in the meeting, there was a lady there that was stressing out. They were trying to get her to, uh, to have another lady move in, and another mother-in-law, and, and she was good with her sobriety. She was good with everything else, and... And she, and she didn't want to say no to a person that probably is drinking and has no uh, no concern in developing. So, you know, I, I gave her a ride home or she gave me a ride home and we talked for a little bit and I, I convinced her to stay strong for her principles and to protect her sobriety because I just happened to be talking about that with my sponsor, Protect Your Sobriety. So with that, we went, we had a great meeting. I felt like I was in the right place at the right time. And one of the persons there gave me a card for a rental card. And one of the uh, AA, they rented cards. And I got a real good price to rent a car for a week. Then, the, then it goes that I started, I hit about 90% of the meetings there. I got wet. I was late in one. Uh, we had wild bees running after us in another one. Um, it was, uh, I went to a night outside meeting. They had me to share. They called it the uh, the alcoholic from East L.A. Uh, there. And then from there, I went to my one of my last meetings before we were flying out of Hawaii. 
and I had to hit this part of the island that I haven't been before and the GPS wasn't working very well because of all the mountains. So I, I trudged and I pulled and, I, and we went from road to road trying to find this meeting with the GPS going in and out. Finally, we found this little church and I ran in there. I believe it was about 10 in the morning I, on a Saturday. I ran in there and the meeting people came up to me and they said, this is Elnon. You must be looking for the church down the street. So I went down the street to the other place and I found AAA. And they and they ran up to me and they said, are you the, our speaker? And I said, no, but I can be. So sure enough, I had a chance to to give my experience, strength, and hope. And after the meeting, a, a, a kid with nine months followed me, 19-year-old, 20-year-old. And I had and got his phone number and met the wife. Uh, and then he was going to be going to the, to the convention. We were going to fly back to Oahu and go to the convention to finish off our trip, AA convention with about a thousand people there. And it was Halloween that weekend. The next day would have been Halloween. He said, my mother bought me a ticket, the young man said. I said, good, I'll meet you there. I'll be there here. Give me your number and we'll stay in touch and we'll see you there. Well, he landed there on a Friday, talked to him and so forth. Uh, on a Saturday, I believe was Halloween, he ended up falling off the wagon, getting drunk, going up and down Waikiki Boulevard where they have a parade and everybody displays their crazy costumes, the tradition. I don't know. i never seen it. I heard about it. I've been in the meetings. But um, I got a hold of him the next day. And uh, he, uh, I finally was able to go convince him to meet me with a hangover at noontime, just come on down the boulevard. We hooked up, we took him to the meetings, we kept him busy with drinking coffee, lunch, and karaoke. And finally, the evening came, we had to go get dressed for the banquet and for the main speaker at the banquet hall. I told the young man, stick around close by when they open up the session, just come on in and sit on the table where we're at. And sure enough, after dinner, he came and he sat right next to us and they had the countdown. And in the countdown, they asked for the oldest guy, had 56 years, and then they went down the countdown, you know, 20 years, five, 10, and then they went down four, three, two, one year, 30 days. And when they got to 30 days, no one stood up. Uh, 29, 28, 27, 26. No one stood up. 20, 19, 15, 14. I just thought to myself, boy, none of us are doing our work. None of us are bringing each one bring one. There was no newcomers whatsoever. And then they got down to 10, 9, 8, 7. You have about a thousand people there and it was pure silence and concern in people's faces. And then they got down to four, three, two, you guessed it, I'm thinking, get up, young man, get up and say you're sober. That's okay if, if you drank two, three in the morning, uh, you're here and you're making a, a comeback. And sure enough, the young man, Joshua, he stands up and he says, I got one day. And the whole place broke out into a 
uh, like a football frenzy, shouting and and he went up there to up to the stage and the guy with 56 years signed the AA Big Book and passed it on to Joshua. And when Joshua came off the stage, all kinds of men uh, from the, around the island that lived there went and got his phone number and exchanged phone number and, and he got many sponsors that day. The next day I walked into back to the in there and he was sitting there on the table like a celebrity with pizza and chicken and all these people around the table and everybody was talking with him. And he goes, Fernando, come, come get some chicken and some pizza. <laughs> it was a great uh That's why of making a choice to be of service, God will meet us there. Let us be of service. You know, and it's tough. We don't know if we're taking advantage of, but we must keep going. Okay, that's about it. I'm going to go ahead and uh, finish up this with one more last story from Faro March Lake, Yukon by Mark V. This one's called Long Distance Hugs from our AA Grapevine, December 2017. For many years, Faroe, British Columbia, a community of 2,500 people had three AA meetings a week. Our group would travel great distance to go on 12-step calls and help other groups start up. Occasionally, we go to Ski-Doo or snowmobiles to remote traveling cabins one time. We took a call from the town Norman Wells. We couldn't travel all the way there to help them that time, but we did send a meeting kit and literature. When the mines shut down for the last time here in 1996, the population of Farrell dropped to approximately 350 people, and I eventually found myself the only AA member left. So I started volunteering and doing service for others at the local ambulance, fire, search, and rescue. While this was good, it didn't make up for the spiritual aspects of my AA program that I was missing. Over time, my attitude slipped into a place I really didn't want to be. I definitely wasn't feeling as well as I liked to. Luckily, in 2006, I got a call from the White Horse remote chair he asked if I'd be interested in helping with a telephone AA meeting. White Rock, British Columbia was up for sponsoring a telecommute phone meeting and I was a lucky candidate. The phone meetings ran every two weeks for a short time, ran. Then at my request, we stepped it up to once a week with alternating sponsors on the White Rock end. We read and study the steps and traditions on our calls. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this meeting. I'm so grateful for the other AA members taking time from their busy lives here in British Columbia to assist us remote members in our journey through sobriety. I get to see a demonstration of commitment to service by their consistent, reliable, and time call each week, timely call. I can still suffer the pain of loneliness and mild depression here in Farrell, but I now have some great tools to drag myself out of if I should so choose. Sometimes I'll suffer a bit anyway just because I can. I gained some good friends through this phone service. 
we have actually visited each other both ways. When I travel to the lower mainland, not often, I'm provided with a place to stay, food, and hugs in abundance. I feel loved and cared for just as when I first got to AA back in 1982. Each phone meeting reminds me of my early days and the feelings I had at that time. It's so Greetings. Welcome to today's reading of Limitless Love and Faith to Faith for November 16, called Pick Up Your Sword. All right, Faith to Faith, Kenneth Copeland and 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 12. But thou, O, but thou, O man of God, fight the good fight of faith. When you're up against a wall, don't start begging God to break it through it for you. That's not the way he works. He'll give you the plan, he'll give you the power, and he'll guarantee the victory. But your hand, not his, is the instrument he's going to use to sit, get the job done. You're going to have to stretch out your hand by speaking and acting on the word, even when circumstances are against you. God gave me a striking revelation of that over 20 years ago through a vision he gave me in Beaumont, Texas. I was preparing to minister in a service there, spending some time in prayer, when suddenly I saw myself standing in the pulpit of the church. Looking up, I saw a dragon, a horrible, ugly thing, poke his head through the front of the church. As he came into the church, his body expanded like a balloon, filling the whole room. He was snorting fire and smoke. When, in the vision, he turned it on me, he almost burned my clothes. As I fell back on the floor, I saw Jesus standing nearby with a sword in his hand. Why doesn't he do something about this? I thought, can't he see I'm hurting? But he didn't move. He just stood by with a frown on his face. I could tell he was really put out with me. The Bible says God was not pleased with those who were overthrown in the wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10.5 and he wasn't pleased with me either as I lay there on my back in defeat. Then Jesus held up the sword to me and pointed at the dragon. The look on his face said, get up. I reached up to catch hold of the sword and an instant before I touched it, Jesus turned it loose. The sword stayed in midair of its own accord. I grabbed it and began to pull myself up. Not only did it hold firm, but it began to lift me. I stood and touched the dragon's chin with my sword, and it split him from one end to the other. It laid him open right before my eyes. In amazement, I looked down at the sword. Why haven't I used this before, I thought. Don't wait for God to slay the dragon in your life. You have the sword of the Spirit, the all-powerful word of the living God. At your fingerprints, fingertips. Pick it up and use it today. Uh, additional reading scripture reading will be Joshua 11, 5 to 23. Um, Fernando, my experience is that I did a similar situation where Jesus, in a vision, uh, he, I was praying for about three weeks, wondering uh, if this was all worth it, giving your money to the church not drinking, not going to the party scene, and uh, reading, and not 
And, you know, I was just struggling like everybody else of acceptance of my new life. And I kept praying. And then God, Jesus, showed up himself. He was holding the keys to the kingdom, dripping completely in, in blood. And he was extending his hands towards me, looking at me with a frown on his face. I could tell he was really put out with me. And he was giving me the keys of the kingdom. And ever since then, I've been studying blood, the keys of the kingdom, and its authority. So it is the word of God. Faith works by love, and love works by the word of God. And the word of God works by us reading it and putting it in our hearts and doing things like we're doing now. Make it effective. We're sharpening our sword and getting ready for the next battle. The war has already been won, but there are loose devils out there, and we are going after them. And you can easily see how easily the dragon was destroyed. You can easily see how you can destroy devils by clapping your hands and praising the name of Jesus. You know, in the midst of trials, in the midst of uh, arrogance, and or not from from other people coming at you. Influences of the enemy. Amen. All right, we're moving, uh, shifting gears now. We're going to go to Limitless Love. It's called Pass Up the Pity Party by Gloria Copeland. And Caleb still the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the man that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched into the, unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eaten up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. So we were in the sight as we were in their sight. And all the, the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Numbers 30, 13, verse 30, 33, and 14, and verse 1. The next time you're tempted to indulge in a little self-pity, remember the story when you feel small, insignificant, and overwhelmed by the circumstances around you and want to moan and cry about how no one loves you or takes care of you. Beware, God calls that kind of talk an evil report. He is not going to encourage you, your unbelief, by patting you on the back and sympathizing with you. He won't appreciate your complaints. In fact, he'll probably say to you something like he said to the children of Israel. How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Numbers 14.11 Once you heard the word that God loves you, he expects you to believe it. He expects you to speak that word and act on it. So no matter how bad things are around you, you should never again say, no one loves me. 
you should never allow that thought in, in your mind. When you're tempted to see yourself as a grasshopper, overwhelmed by the circumstances around you, take charge of your thinking and turn the picture around. See yourself as a giant in the Lord. See yourself as the one God loves. Open your mouth and say, God is good to me. If you do that, I can assure you it won't be long before other people are being good to you too. As you receive God's love and act on it, you'll naturally begin to be more loving toward other people. You'll put into motion the law of sowing and reaping. As you love others, that love will be multiplied and given back to you again. Again, if you take that path, you won't be overcome by the negative things around you. You'll rise up like Caleb and overcome them instead. You'll pass up your pity party, take hold of God's love, and do your celebrating in the promised land. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful readings. Let's go ahead and read Psalm 16, one of my favorite psalms, please. Okie doke. This month, we're still reading the New King James. Thank God for you version Bible app. I love it. Love it. Sometimes they cut me off. They wanted me to buy the book. The hope of the faithful and the Messiah's victory. Of David. By David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. All my soul you have said to the Lord... You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in shell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Let's just do Psalm 46, another of my favorite psalms. God, the refuge of his people and conqueror of the nations. By the sons of Korah. By the way, there's a beautiful music called the sons of Korah. They sing the Psalms. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength 
a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her just as the break of dawn. Just at the break of dawn, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war seas to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice, and he who does righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have towards your people. Oh, visit me with your salvation, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nations, that I may glory in your inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but reveled by the sea the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his power mighty known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but exceedingly lusted in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. When they envied Moses in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord, 
The earth opened up and swallowed Dayton and covered the faction of Abiram. A fire was kindled in the company and the flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach. He turned away his wrath, lest he destroy them. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his works, but complained in their tents, and did not heed of the, of the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he raised his hand in a oath against them, to overthrow them in the wilderness." to overthrow their descendants among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also to Baal, Peor, and ate the sacrifice made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped, and that was accounted to him for righteousness. To all generations forever, they angered him also at the waters of strife, so it went ill with Moses on account of them, because they rebelled against his spirit, so that he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the people concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them that they even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood. The blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the, the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. Therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people, so that he abhorred his own inheritance and he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, those who hated them and ruled over them. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction. Many times he delivered them, but they reveled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Again, nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. And for their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the multitude of his mercy. He also made them to be pitied pitied by all those who carry them away captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles. Give thanks to your holy name to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord.